chapter 5, let's all stand. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 25. I'm going to read down to the end of the chapter and then we'll bow in prayer. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 25, the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. May God bless his word. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, thank you again uh, for being our Heavenly Father. And so we would say to you, Happy Father's Day, Father, as we uh, seek every occasion to bring glory and honor to you, to magnify your name. And Father, we thank you for using the illustration of fatherhood, which we all know so well, um, to, to represent yourself as our Heavenly Father. We are blessed uh, that we have, uh, that we can call ourselves the sons of God to those who have received Christ. And I pray that you'd bless us today and help us to magnify our Heavenly Father. Help us to magnify you today as we seek to honor dads. And I thank you for your word. Thank you for everyone that's here today. Thank you for those that are listening online. And uh, again, please, Father, by your grace, through your spirit, equip us and enable us to glorify you, and we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Again, good morning. Thank you for being here today. I just realized, I think it was the last two Sundays I was away, wasn't it? So we, I came back. I've been working since Monday, but... Um, you were here last Sunday. I was here last Sunday. Oh, so it was the week before that I came. Oh, yeah. Why do I feel like you're all strangers? <laughs> um, Father's Day. What a blessing to be a dad, and uh, what a blessing to have had a dad for as long as I did. Uh, and in fact, when my father passed away, which was uh, four Saturdays ago, um, four Saturdays ago, my dad at two, two, about two o'clock in the afternoon uh, passed into eternity. And as we prepared the funeral, my, my siblings and I, uh, my sister would read a short eulogy, and we all contributed to it. And um, in fact, I've even said this, I forget whether it was a prayer meeting or whatever, but I've talked about this with my, my parents, uh, is that um, we have witnessed, it, it just dawned on me a couple months ago that we've been witnessing one of the great, great love stories, because my dad and my mom were deeply in love, and uh, how privileged I am, that, that's, that's very rare. And um, so part of my tribute, uh, in the sibling tribute to our dad, uh, I made this statement, and I quoted a statement that I've used before. It's not a Bible verse, 
But somebody once said, and this has been attributed to Abraham Lincoln, as well as probably 20 other people, uh, where it originally came from, uh, but somebody once said that the best thing that a father can do for his children is to love their mother. And, um, and I, I believe that's true. But that's what's come to my mind uh, as I've witnessed my dad and some of the things I'll share a little bit um, just about their relationship is that we have really witnessed uh, a great love story. And my dad, my dad was a good dad in so many ways. He took us camping every year. Uh, so many precious memories. Just so many great memories. Uh, and my dad, we have, my, my siblings and I talked about the fact that we really don't, we rarely remember when my dad got angry. I have one time that where I deserved it 100%. He got so frustrated with me blaring my music that he took the hinges off my bedroom door. Uh, but anyway, that's a different story. Um, but, you know, not many people can say, I, I've, never, I've not hardly seen my dad get angry. Uh, and, and so that statement, I want to think about this statement, because the title of the message is, the best thing a father can do for his children. Is that true? Now, if it was a Bible verse... We could say, absolutely, it's true, but it's not a Bible verse. But let's look at it for a minute. The best thing the father can do for his children is to love their mother. Is that really true? Uh, I believe the Bible bears that out. That's why I'm having you go to Ephesians chapter 5. Because I believe the Bible does teach that. and, And right away, if we can think of any objections, uh, someone might say, no way, preacher, the best thing that a dad can do for his kids is to love Jesus Christ. And we say, amen, right? But you know what? I've seen people, I've seen dads that have in the, that in the name of ministry have forsaken their children's moms, forsaken their wives. Uh, the slinky is, is, you know, some of you remember that story, and I'm not going to go into it today, but uh, I even I might I think I still have a slinky under here because it's a powerful illustration to me. The inventor of the slinky was a man that got saved and then went into ministry. I'm not going to go into that, but I believe it's true that one of the, one of if you know one of the best things, if not the best thing that the dad can do for his children, is to love their mother. So look at Ephesians chapter five. We're going to see that borne out in Scripture. So husbands. Okay, that would be dad, fathers. Uh, if you know, if uh, you had children, you have a wife. Bible says, husbands, love your wives, even as. That's a phrase we're going to see several times throughout this text. The word "as." So God is talking to dads, talking to fathers, husbands, and He's telling you, "I want you to love your wife as." And He gives two examples: love your Wives, even as Christ loved him, the church and gave himself for it. And then the next few verses explain that. We're going to go into that. And verse 28 then confirms, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. Now this is the second comparative thing. First he says, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. <laughs> That's the biggest example. That's the most daunting example. The second one comes naturally. Love your wife as you love your own bodies. Verse 28, He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Now wait a minute, what do you mean love? Isn't that, we're going to talk about this, isn't that what everyone struggles with? 
that we don't love ourselves enough, that we need more self-esteem? Well, the Bible talks about that. In fact, there's such a prevailing philosophy today about this self-esteem movement that um, the Bible actually refutes that in verse 29. And, um, and we're going to look at that. And then at the very end of this text, we're going to see... So first we have the first example, Christ loved the church. The second example, as you love yourself, that's how you're supposed to love your wife. And then third is the mystery. Look at verse 23, or 32 rather. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Wait a minute, you weren't talking about Christ and the church. Well, you were talking about how Christ loved the church, but then you were talking about how man loves his own body. What, what is he saying? There's an incredible application here. There's an incredible picture in human marriage that is supposed to reflect the very gospel itself. That God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son who would become the groom, the husband of the church, the bride of Christ. Wow. It's a mystery, He's saying. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. And then he summarizes verse 33, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. So we're going to look at these three things, and we are going to see today, I'm convinced that really the best thing, one of the best things that a father can do for his children is to love their mom. And obviously that's assuming um, the mother's alive, that you're still with the mother. Um, but let's, let's bow in prayer and we're going to jump right in. Father, thank you for your word. We ask for your blessing today and uh, help us to glorify you, help us to honor dads, and help us that are dads, uh, that, that are married, that have wives, help us, Father, to love our wives, help us to love our children's mother um, just, just as much as we can possibly do so that we can be good husbands. And we ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name, amen. So my part of the eulogy with, for my dad just uh, last Friday uh, I put, this was part of what I put, I, I put, quoting that quote, the best thing, it has been said that the best thing that a father can do for his children is to love their mother. Um, and I said, uh, the lion children have witnessed a true love story. Dad loved mom our entire lives. Their marriage has been an example for us to pattern our own marriages after. I'm realizing how uh, marriages that, you know, that, a, a husband and a wife that have been married for a long time is becoming like we're dinosaurs. And my parents have four kids, two boys, two girls, and all of us are still in our first marriages. And we don't take that for granted in this day and age. But we have had a supreme example before us, lived out before us, of a great love story between Jim and Betty Lyon. Uh, so I said... Um, Again, their marriage has been an example for us to pattern our own marriages after. A common sight was for, to see them holding their hands. They never wanted to be apart. Dad was not happy unless he was taking care of Mom, and that's true. And I, I praise God for that. Uh, my dad just loved my mom. And again, just to see them as old people holding hands, that's kind of gross. <laughs> to, you know, when you're young. They, they held hands, they'd go for walks all the time, and and it, it was just a great love story. 
And while they were in the nursing home together, somebody, maybe my sister's got a picture of them holding hands together. And they had one, I think, on their wedding day. Uh, and, and those hands got old, but they were still holding one another. And you know, you and I are blessed to have a husband, Jesus Christ. We are the bride. And we have experienced the greatest love ever by Jesus Christ dying for us. So let's jump in and look at this. Two examples and then the mystery. We're going to just that's going to be our outline today. So the first example, verse 25, Ephesians 5:25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That's the gospel right there, folks, is it not? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That, that is the greatest love ever known to mankind. And we are told, <laughs> amazingly, that if you're a husband, if you're a father, you have to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Question number one, and this is rhetorical, please don't answer. Because if you don't, man, your wife will do it for you. <laughs> Question number one, who has fallen short of that goal? Don't, don't show your hands, okay? Again, your, your wife, if you don't admit, we have all, how can, we, how can you match up to a perfect standard? Jesus Christ loved the church perfectly. And we all fall short of that. So we should just give up, right? No, that's it's still the example. We are challenged to love our wives as Christ loved the church. So do not use your own failure and, and men... We have a tendency to, to feel defeated right from the opening gate. Do we not? I mean, men, it's so easy for us to lose our confidence, uh, to, to just get discouraged, and, and because of our own failure, to just think, what's the use? And by the way, if you're thinking that in anything, you know, well, what's the use? I keep failing. Listen. Don't let Satan beat you up, first of all. Yes, acknowledge that you have failed. But folks, that's what God's grace is there for, to lift us up. And where we succeed in certain areas, it's not because of us. Anyway, it's because of God's enablement. Any, any, any wife that would say, my husband has been awesome, he's been such a great husband... Any husband that's worth his weight and salt would say, that's only been by God. I love, just thinking of this, Ron Hamilton, uh, his wife was sharing with him in his, in, in his, he had already had dementia, he was starting to lose it mentally. And, and he was, his wife was talking about what an impact Ron Hamilton has made on so many people through Patch the Pirate and his music ministries. And uh, this may be one of the last coherent things he said. He, he, he said, I'd like to think that, that God did that. And I love that. You know, and any humble heart, any hub, hu- humble husband is going to acknowledge if 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 I've been good in any area, if we've been good as husbands, it's only by God's grace. It really is. But that's still the example. You know, the bar is set high. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church, and He gave Himself for. And by the way, that's the key to sac- to love is sacrifice, is it not? The key to love is giving of yourself unconditionally and, and without motivation for what you get in return. 
Love is giving to meet other people's basic needs. And husband, your challenge is to minister to your wife, to love your wife, and give yourself for her. I love that quote. I forget where I heard it, but it's, you know, love can always wait to give, but lust can never wait to get. Genuine love gives to meet other people's needs without any motivation for what we get in return. And that's what we're asked to do. And we have Christ as the example. And so look at verse 26. Here's what Christ did. He gave himself for the church. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Folks, the only reason the church, and by that meaning redeemed, born again, blood-washed people, the only reason that we can stand before God justified has nothing to do with how good we are or how holy we can become or any of our works. It is purely the work of Jesus Christ. He's the one that gave himself for us. Paul said, not having mine own righteousness, which is according to the law, but by his mercy he saved us. Folks, we are clothed in the... If you're born again, and by the way, that's the only people that make up the church. Your, your, your name can be on the member rolls of any number of given churches. And that does not make you part of the church. You need to be washed in the blood. You need to have your name. You need to be born again. And if you are, you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what he was here for. That's why he came to give his life for the church. In fact, I've, I've shared this before. I, I, more and more, I just keep finding verses that point to God's love. And uh, I mentioned John 3.16. I think I quoted it twice already. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If you're que- So many people question God's love. And s- most of the people that doubt God's love are looking only at the temporal. In fact, Asaph did that in Psalm, Psalm 73. <clears throat> only looking at the temporal. And seeing justice not being carried out, seeing people being taken advantage of, all kinds of great injustices take place, and people are laying that at the feet of God. In fact, next Sunday morning, I'm going to be preaching a sermon called Worshiping a Monster. And I'm going to be, it's a quote from Bert Ehrman, Bart Ehrman rather. He's like the world's leading atheist or agnostic. He used to, he, he went to seminary and sat under Bible-believing teachers, professors. He professed Christ, and then he, he renounced his faith. And now, again, he's America's leading agnostics. Uh, and he said, it's a party line that a lot of people basically say, and uh, I don't have his direct quote, but basically the idea is, if God is a God of love, how can he allow all these things to go on? I can't with clear conscience worship a monster. And so we're going to talk about that next Sunday. Because you know what's interesting to me? Here's a little blurb for next Sunday. It's interesting to me that the people that are condemning God for this injustice, they're actually, they're actually condemning themselves because they're screaming out and saying, justice needs to happen. And since it's not happening now, there must not be a God. 
But folks, what they don't realize is, see, when we say that, when we, we start criticizing God for not executing justice immediately, we're failing to realize that on Judgment Day, and there will come a Judgment Day. That's what they've rejected. Justice is going to take place. And every single tongue that, that condemned God for not being perfectly just are going to have to eat their own words. Because not only will justice take place across the board, think of what that implies to us. That's next week, okay? Pause that. Let's move on. Let's go back to this whole, whole idea of, um, of fathers here. So, God says, I, sh- I love you, and the best way to see my love is not looking at the temporal, because things are not, you know, judgment day has not come. You want to know where I love you? You want to know how I love you? You want to know where to look? To see God's love, look to Calvary. That's where. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Here's some more verses real quickly. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 11, uh, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. John 15, 13. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his own life for his friends. John or Romans 5, 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure a good man, for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth, that means he he put it on display. God commendeth his love toward us. In that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. uh, 1 John 3.16 Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And then 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9, in this was manifested. You get a theme here? In this was manifested the love of God toward us because God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. So, I mean, it is throughout the scriptures saturated with this idea that you want to see God's love, you want to question God's love, Go to Calvary, because there it is. And until you fully comprehend Calvary, you will not see the love of God in its fullest. And so many people do not know, they do not value Calvary, they don't value uh, what God did for them because they don't understand it. They're the ones that are accusing God. I read a story Back in 1799, I didn't read the story in 1799, I read the story about what happened in 1799. A a guy by the name of Conrad Reed discovered a 17-pound rock while he was fishing in Little Meadow Creek. So he found this rock, it enamored him, so he took it home, 17-pound rock, and uh, for three years his family used it as a doorstop. 17 pounds, that's probably a pretty good doorstop. And uh, all of a sudden, his dad got the idea that, you know what? I think there might be more to this rock, this doorstop, than, than we realized. So he took it to a jeweler. Now, remember, this is in 1799, or no, in 1802. So they used it for three years as a doorstop. In 1802, the, his dad said, let's take this rock and get it examined. And they found out that it was uh, a lump of gold worth $3,600 at that time. That would be over $107,000 today. And it's the largest 
gold nugget, 17-pound gold nugget on, the, on that side of the Mississippi ever found. But can you imagine that? Your doorstop, you're using this rock as a doorstop for three years. And, and you know, a doorstop is a doorstop. And then finding out that it is worth like so much money. Could it be that something so valuable and so precious is right under people's noses and they don't even see it? They know Jesus came historically. Some of them go to church every Sunday and give mental assent to the historicity of Jesus. Some that don't go to church still see the celebration of Christmas and the birth of Jesus or hear the songs about a Savior coming and unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior and it's right under the nose. But they don't realize how valuable it is. How sad that is. So men, we have an example to follow. Look at verse 26 that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might have presented to himself a glorious church. You know, Jesus' mission while he was on this earth was to sanctify his church. In John 17, Jesus prayed to the Father. And in verse 17, he said, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Then in verse 19, he said, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. So Jesus invested himself in sinful human beings so that he could present them to himself, a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle. So he's not looking at us saying, come on, you've got to measure up to this line. You've got to really be holy so I can accept you, so the Father can accept you. He said no. And by the way, this is a glorious thing. If you are born again, if you are saved, It's because you have come to Calvary empty-handed. I used to come to Calvary full of things. I had my baptism certificate. I was an altar boy. I was a boy scout. The nun said good things about me. I had a, a, my best friend was, one of my closest friends was a priest. I mean, I had all these things that I was bringing before God and I was also less, I was, I used less profanity than every one of my friends. I mean, come on, if that doesn't get me favor with God. And I realized that all these things I'm bringing before God, all my religiousness, and you should have seen me in an altar boy outfit. I look pretty holy. But you know what I came to realize? I, I, I had to throw that all aside. Like Paul said, I count those things but dung. The only way you get saved, folks, is if you come empty-handed. If you're trusting in your baptism or your, your communion or your boy scouting or your helping old ladies across the road or your, you know, your lack of profanity or how morally upright you are, you're not coming empty-handed. See, we have to come to the cross empty-handed because what happened on the cross is what took care of it all. Only one person died on the cross. It wasn't you. It wasn't me, and it wasn't a church. It was Jesus Christ. And until we come empty-handed, have you come to Calvary empty-handed? Because Jesus invested himself in sanctifying the church, the people that would end up being saved.
And so, our challenge... Uh, in fact, let me read this. One, one uh, theologian said this. The difference between selfish and unselfish love is seen here. A selfish lover cares for his wife in his own interests. Like Samson, he desires to have her simply because she pleases him. And in his relationship with her, thinks not of her good, but of his own enjoyment. But the love of an unselfish lover constrains himself, constrains him to seek her good, to do nothing that will hurt her, her or damage her in any manner or way, but to do everything that he believes will advance her well-being, especially in the highest sense. And that's why I submit to you that as we move into the second point, Not only are we supposed to love Christ as Christ loved the church, we are supposed to love Christ as, let's look at the word here, so ought men, uh, or go back to, or you're still in Ephesians 5, right? So Ephesians 5, so ought men to love their wives, verse 28, as their own bodies. That's our second example. First, we have to love Christ as Jesus Christ loved the church, or love our wives as Jesus Christ loved the church. Second, we have to love our wives as we love ourselves. You know, for decades we have been bombarded with the truth that the greatest problem within mankind is we don't love ourselves enough. There's a quote, another quote, not from Abe Lincoln, but from a, a less honorable man, Joseph Goebbels, who actually, uh, I believe it comes really from uh, Mein Kampf, from Adolf Hitler, who is not an honorable man. But uh, the saying that's been often repeated is, if you tell, let me get it right. If you tell a lie, if you tell a big enough lie, and you repeat it often enough, pretty soon people will believe that it's true. That's just paraphrase because I can't find it. And uh, he was actually saying that, conde- uh, saying that was the Jewish people they lied. He also would say, they, uh, Joseph Goebbels would say it later about the British people. Uh, they didn't think that they were lying. But they were, it's interesting that that quote comes from them uh, because they were, indeed, they embraced a lie. But this idea that our greatest problem is that we, we don't love ourselves. Listen to this. This was from a book from The Seduction of Christianity. This book came out in... in um, in 1985, a long time ago. But by then, this mantra of, you know, our problem is low self-esteem. Listen to what the author said, David Hunt. Listen to what he said. And this is, this is why, in fact, this really, look at verse 29 of Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 29 says, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh. That's not what we're told. There's a lot of people that are convinced that their biggest problem is they don't love themselves enough. And according to this, no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. And he keeps bringing this out. Men, you love your wives as you already love yourselves. Listen to what David Hunt said. He said this. There are many, or he said, without complete confidence that every human being already hates himself, Oh, he's quoting, by the way, he's quoting Matthew 19 and verse 19, where Jesus said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So he's talking about Jesus. Paul's saying the statement that we love ourselves already in, in Ephesians. 
So David Hunt said, Without complete confidence that every human being already loves himself, Jesus could never have made such a statement, to love thy neighbor as thyself. Certainly, if we all innately hate ourselves, then we would wish upon others the same evil that we wish upon ourselves. You follow that reasoning? It's true. If everyone hated themselves, then, we would, then we'd wish that. Yet, in the face of this, a deluge of Christian radio and TV talk shows, magazines and books has been pouring forth the idea that we innately hate ourselves and must learn to love ourselves before we can love other people and even God. There are many who express varying degrees of self-hatred. This is an important point, because this would be the refutation of that. That there are many people who express varying degrees of self-hatred, that they actually don't hate themselves can be easily seen. For the person who says, I'm so ugly, I hate myself, doesn't hate himself at all, or he would be glad that he was ugly. Right? I'm seriously. If you, you know, someone looks in the mirror and they say, I'm ugly, but you know what, I hate myself, so I wish I was even more ugly. But the fact that we love ourselves, we look in the mirror and we say, oh, that's disgusting. It's because we love ourselves. Uh, it is because he loves himself that he is upset with his appearance. The person who grovels in depression and says he hates himself for having wasted his life would actually be glad that he had wasted his life if he really hated himself. In fact, he is unhappy about having wasted his life because he loves himself. So it is with a person who takes his own life. Most of these tragic people consider suicide to be an escape. But who helps someone who he hates to escape? It is the ultimate act of self Attempting to escape circumstances without considering anyone else. That's true. It really is. When people in moments of despair are so upset and disappointed with how their life turned out because they love themselves, they take their life. They're not thinking about, they're not doing something for, to help the people they love. In fact, they're doing just the opposite. When you take your life, you are creating the greatest hardship from those who love you most. So men, we are challenged to love our wives as we already love ourselves. I, I read a story. Uh, there was a funeral a couple of years ago in, in December of 20, 2013. That, uh, it, was a, it was a military funeral. And it ended up being a, a, an incredible story. The Ser Sergeant First Class Joseph Gant fought in World War II and then the Korean War. And while in the Korean War, he was captured and he died the following year. So he died in 1951. But his body was never returned home. His wife, Clara, waited for decades for her husband, more than half a century. And she regularly went to meetings with the government officials seeking information about what had happened to her beloved Joseph. Claire even bought a house and had it professionally landscaped, so all Joseph would have to do when he came home was to go fishing. And so she waited and waited and waited for her husband. She was 94 years old when his remains were finally returned to the United States and she could have a burial it wasn't the homecoming she dreamed of, but she told, she told an inner, a reporter who interviewed her when the remains were brought back. She said of her husband, 
She said, he told me if anything happened to him, he wanted me to remarry. And I told him, no, no, here I am, still his wife. And I'm going to remain his wife until the day the Lord calls me home. Now that's touching. Now, by the way, that if your husband dies or your wife dies, you can get remarried. I remember we had a, anybody, if you've been here in Upper Darby for a long time on, on uh, Westchester Pike, this would be down there. There was a barber named Francis. Anybody ever get their haircuts from Francis? I got my haircut from Francis. He was an old man, and his wife had died years ago. And he, his attitude was like this lady. Uh, you know, I'm still, she's my wife. And he, was, and he did. He went to his grave. He did not remarry. He, he had biblical grounds to remarry when his wife died. But he had that kind of love, like this Clara had. And that's touching to me. My wife and I have often talked about, you know, if I die, she says, if I, if, that I die, she's not going to remarry. And I've told her, I, I, I free you from that. You can get remarried. She said, no, I'm not doing it. And I said, well, I'm not going to make the same commitment. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I did not say that. <laughs> but, um, I mean, it's so touching. And, 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 I mean, that's the heart of true love, is it not? And, and so, but, but it's because we love ourselves that we... As husbands need to love our wives. And real quickly, let's go back to this last text. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Remember, it's already, we already love ourselves. That's the premise that the Bible teaches. So you got, if you've been brainwashed by this idea that your problem is low self-esteem, until you understand that's not sound thinking, you're not going to be helped now verse, uh, now verse 33. Never, or no, wait a minute. Verse 30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. They too shall be one flesh. And then he says this, verse 32. This is a great mystery. What's a mystery? That we as husbands have to love our wives as Christ loved the church. That that, you know, we got to really love our wives. What's a mystery? That we have to love our wives as we already love ourselves? Is that a mystery? No, he says something amazing. He says, this is a mystery, but I speak concerning husbands and their wives. That's not what it says. That's what I would think it would say. You know, This is a great mystery, but I'm speaking concerning husbands loving their wives. He doesn't say that. He says, but I speak concerning Christ. And the church, you know what? When a husband loves his wife, he is living out. And the, one of the great examples of the gospel that God so loved us, he sent Jesus to die. Jesus is our bridegroom and he gives himself for the church. Every healthy Christian marriage is a picture of God's love for the world. And when you and I love our wives, folks, our children are seeing, lived out before them, the gospel message of how God loves them. It's a powerful thing. Man, we have every reason to love our wives. I talked about my dad. I'm going to close talking about my dads. I have two dads, father and a father-in-law. My dad, uh, just this year, January, and I've repeated this, I said this recently, my dad was taken to the emergency room on January 24th, just this year. Uh, he, my dad 
for years. Had been retired. Uh, he'd just been taking care of my mom. I had, my mom has a type of COPD. And my dad would just make sure all her... She had to get like uh, breathing treatments with medicine three times a day, sometimes four times a day. He would make sure she got all the treatments, everything was equaled out, all her medicine. Uh, he would... My dad served my mom. And then when the quarantine happened, they, they were kind of staying at home. They, they didn't go out. And he just, they just lived together. They had a great life. You know, they, they just, and he take, took care of her until January 24th. And uh, my sisters had begun to see some memory lapses in my dad. And then on that day, my sisters were over there. And my dad started stumbling, started slurring his speech. And we thought for sure, because Mary's mom had had a stroke, we thought, dad, if dad has a stroke, by the way, if you ever see anyone that has signs of a stroke, they need immediate medical attention because there's things they can give them to help the damage if it's given to them early enough. And we knew that. In fact, that's what they told my, my mother-in-law. So we immediately told, I told my sister, and uh, my sister went, my younger sister went from mode of encouraging dad to go to the hospital to not giving him a choice. Talk about a dictator daughter. Um, she called 911, and my dad was... Talk about not, you know, my dad not being happy. He was not happy. And, uh, of course, that's when he went. And they did the CAT scan. They saw a tumor, and then they operated on the tumor February 2nd. And I'll never forget, we were there after the, he's coming out of the operation, and I remember we were all thinking, you know, Brain surgery is serious business. There's a tumor the size, uh, 17 centimeters, a very large tumor in his brain. They're going to be removing it. And what's going to be left of our dad, of, of his brain, of his memory? So we went in at, after he went to the recovery room, just hours after he had brain surgery, not sure what we were going to see. Would, would he be able to talk? Would he remember us? So as soon as he opened his eyes, he recognized me and smiled and my sisters and said our names. And I can't tell you what a big blessing that was. Many of you were praying for my dad at that point. And then immediately out of my dad's mouth was, where's Betty? This is his wife, my mom. And he said, she has to have her abuterol treatments at 2 o'clock. And he immediately went into And it was like, wow, that's awesome. We knew that you know the surgery was successful as far as we knew that he still was on limited time. And so because of that brain cancer that started to eat away at his mind, he started to get delusional. And his biggest concern, folks, the whole time was mom. He just, he, he, he was, uh, he thought, sometimes he thought mom was in the room. And, and it was so sad because he would, he was tormented because he thought something was wrong. Something happened to his honey. And I mean, he was in despair. It was horrible to see him being torn apart because he thought something was wrong with my mom. And he's like, I just got, I just, give me the keys, you know, he went into people's rooms, he just wanted to get out of there so he could get in the car and go home and see my mom, because he, he thought something was wrong. What an example. Many of you know my father-in-law, Ed Tomkowitz. Uh, I understand that as soon as the quarantine came, uh, they've not been out to church. They, were, they came for years, like another family in our church, driving all the way out from Westchester. I do not. That doesn't go unnoticed. That's a long drive from Westchester to come to this little church and hear this. <laughs> and my, my father-in-law would come and my mother-in-law would come. 
and then now she's basically at home and she has COPD. And um, so my father-in-law hasn't been to church in years, but he joins us on Wednesday night. And those of you that join us on Wednesday night, uh, you know uh, his, uh, his only prayer request, pray for Joanne. Pray for Joanne. She, you know, she has good days and bad days. So now everybody that ch- in church that prays for Joanne is praying that she'll have more good days than bad days, you know. But we see his love. It's so touching. He loves his wife. They had a nurse come in just, I think, within the last week or two. A nurse that's been caring for them. She made this statement. She says, I've been a nurse for 30 years. And I've never seen, this is very rare, for a husband to take care of his wife as you are doing. You just don't see it anymore. Wow. That's sad. But, you know, what a testimony. What a, one of my heroes, my father-in-law, is loving his wife. It's the greatest thing he can do for his children is to love his wife. And he's, he's awesome that way. And so, man, I want to encourage you, if you're a dad, that you're in a situation where you can love your, your, the, your, the mother of your children, love her to pieces. I almost said love her to death, but somebody might take me literally. Love your wife to pieces. Just serve her. Be there for her. And it is the best thing you can do for your children because they will see. They will be seeing in your love for your wife, for their mom, they'll be seeing God's love for them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you'd help us. Father, my goal is not to make dads feel inadequate. And and when we talk about dads, uh, Lord, how can we not feel inadequate? We're so aware of our own unworthiness and our own failures. But Lord, rather inspire us and strengthen us to renew ourselves again, to commit ourselves anew, to love our wives as Christ loved the church, to work on those areas that uh, our wives have expressed that we are weak in without, without getting discouraged or wanting to quit. Father, may you uh, encourage us. We can do all things through Christ which strengthen us. Father, help us to be that example. And for those, those fathers whose wives have passed away, I just pray that, that you would encourage and comfort them. Father, we've had so many examples of marriages that have been lived out before our church, husbands and wives that came to church for years and years and years and uh, stood, stood side by side. Now one of them has passed and we are just so thankful, Father, for those godly wives that have gone before us. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would, those of us that are alive and have our wives with us, that we would do, do everything we can to obey Ephesians 5.25 and love our wives as Christ loved the church. And may our kids see it and may they understand that God loves them even more than their dad loves their mom. And he proved it on the cross. Lord, thank you for this love. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.